At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. For many years, many have asked the question, what if God was one of us? Through the incarnation of Jesus, God answered that question, and Jesus became one of us. Every year for centuries, Christians have celebrated the miracle of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season, we're diving into a new series, Emmanuel, God with us. Learning how the arrival of Jesus Christ changes everything. He came to save us, a broken and crooked world, a fallen people. Join us this Christmas as we explore the miracle of Jesus' incarnation and the impact it still has on us. opportunity for us to dive into God's Word. So I want to encourage you to take your Bible out and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. I'm super excited about uh, the text this morning that we get a chance to dive into um, because of its theological and practical um, blessings in our lives. Hebrews chapter 1. Now, I don't know about you, but the other day I had a weird experience. Um, I was in the mall and uh, doing some shopping with the family and all that, and I got separated from my family. And I thought just for a moment, like, that's a normal occurrence, right? Like, we go here, you go there, and we kind of divide and conquer, and that's not an unusual thing. But what struck me this time as being separated is that I didn't have my phone with me. And I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to communicate with my family without my phone? Anyone else have that that dilemma? Right? Like, how did we communicate with people before we had cell phones? You ever think about that? Right? You think about, like, years ago. I'm an old guy now, so, like, back in the olden days, as my kids would say... Right? How do we communicate? Now it's super simple. Like I have everyone that I know, every contact that I know like in my hand that I can contact them at, at a moment's notice. I can send them a text message. I can hit them up on, on social media. I can, there's no way that I have a difficulty connecting with people today. But back before that, how did we do that? Remember like if you wanted to call someone at home, your home had one phone? Or you might have multiple phones, but there was one line. Right? And if you wanted to, to call someone that was far away, you had to be careful because every minute cost you money. And you could have someone that, that lived across the country and you barely kept in touch with them because it was so expensive. How did we communicate before phones? Right Now it's all right there. But we did. We always made a way. Well, there was always a way in which we found ways to communicate. And have you ever stopped to think, how important words are in our lives. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what would we do if there wasn't words? If we couldn't speak to one another, how difficult that would be. I'm thankful that God has given us words because in words, we receive instructions, right? Through words, we we can communicate. We can um, receive encouragement through words. We get information through words. We're able to make plans. We're able to get things done. But I think most importantly, the, the greatest gift of words is that through words, we get to know people, and through words, we are known, right? Isn't that amazing? Like, if you couldn't communicate with your, your spouse, how difficult would that be? 
Like if you had, even if with your kids, you know, you've got your kid comes into your life, this little baby in your hands, and you're like, you can show them love, you can hold them, but without words, there's something missing. Right? Through our words, we're able to communicate, I love you. If through words, we're able to say, I need you. Through words, we're able to say so many things. And it's through words that we, are, we know others and we are known. Words are so important. And I'm thankful when we pull back and we, we look at like creation for a moment. right? We know in our hearts and we know through God's word that there is a God who has created all things. God has created everything that is here. There was a time in which in eternity past that all that is here wasn't here. And yet when God begins to create, what does he use to create? His words. Right? In his words, God creates. And in this we see, go back to the book of Genesis and we see that God is speaking, God is naming. And in the first 35 verses of chapter 1 of the Bible, we see God is naming something or saying something at least 15 times. So if there is this God who has created all things, and if we are accountable to this great and mighty God, then it is his responsibility to communicate to us. Right? He cannot be a loving God if he, he creates all of this stuff and then steps back and is absent and is distant and doesn't communicate. Right? Think about that even on an earthly level. Right, if you as, as your parents, if, if you have an expectation on your children and yet you don't communicate it to them and then they don't meet up your expectations, is it on them or is it on you? It's on you because you have this expectation and you don't communicate it. You can't have an expectation that people follow through. And so God as creator makes us accountable to him, but he gives us his words through his words, he shows us his character. Through his words, he shows us our responsibilities. Through his words, he instructs us, he encourages us. And through his words, he makes himself known to us. And we go through scripture. I'm so thankful that God has given us scripture because there are so many ways in which God has revealed himself. I love how a Bible commentator Kent Hughes calls um, God's revealing himself to us in creation as God's cosmic eloquence, right? One of the ways that God speaks to us is through creation, right? I love how David writes in Psalm 19, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals God. God speaks eloquently through what he's made like you can't look at the vastness of the night sky and not be moved by it right you have you look at those things and you're like man that is bigger than me that is mightier than i can't reduplicate that or re reproduce that and so yet we look there and we see that the skies show the glory of god and they show the God revealing himself as something greater than I. Because even as vast as space is, 
Like if you think about the vastness of space and you think about how big the other planets are and other stars are in our solar system, it makes us feel really, really small. But then we see that and we know that there's a God that is bigger than all of that. That there's a God that somehow is outside of all of that. That somehow is supreme over all of that. But I'm also thankful that it's not the only way that God speaks. Right? God has spoken not only in nature, but he speaks through words to people. Throughout biblical history, we see that God has spoken in audible voice at times. That God has spoken through visions. God has spoken through dreams. God speaks through angelic messengers. We can read in Scripture and see how God has spoken to Noah and how God spoke to Abraham and how God spoke to Jacob and how God spoke to Moses and how God is continually speaking throughout the Old Testament. But we also see through the Bible that God speaks not only through his creation, but God speaks through prophetic eloquence. Right Throughout Scripture, we see that God begins to appoint certain people to be prophets, He gives them his words. He tells them directly what he wants to say to God's people. And that's their job. Just say what God says. And we see the faithfulness of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. There are approximately 90 different prophets in the Old Testament. Prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Habakkuk, Malachi. They were speaking for God and speaking God's words. Through their lives, God had a specific plan for them and needed them to communicate a specific word to God's people. And as we come to our text today, as we begin in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we see the writer of Hebrews capturing this. And he says this in verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1, is overwhelmed as he begins to consider the ways in which God has spoken. That God has not left us alone. That God wants us to know that he desires a relationship with us. That the problem rests not in him, but the problem rests in us because we are sinful. And through the process of God's revelation and through God's proclamation, we can know God. And so the writer of Hebrews is overwhelmed by this fact that God would care so much about us that he would communicate to us through his written word and through his prophets. Have you ever thought about how kind and gracious it is for God to speak? He doesn't have to. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't have to give us words of love and, 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 and affection. He doesn't have to give us all those things, but he does because of his love. And I love as we read through scripture that we see God carefully and generously through his words, giving his speaking to creation and to his people. But then have you ever wondered like, or ever known that between the Old Testament and the New Testament there was a season that God stopped speaking. Right, for 400 years. There's a 400-year gap between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament where God doesn't speak. No new prophets, no new words. All God's people have are the words that God has given them through the Old Testament. God's given them creation to see, and they have all that. And guess what happens to God's people as God is silent? They screw everything up. 
They mess everything up. They mess up the whole sacrificial system. They add extra uh, rules and laws to God's word. And you have this massive, oppressive religious system that has developed that God's people who were supposed to walk in freedom with God and walk in relationship with God are so beaten down and battered by the weight of religion that it's almost impossible for them to even hear God's voice. So though the writer of Hebrews talks about the blessing of the prophets, there still was something missing. Something greater had to come. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas season. We see not only in God's word his cosmic eloquence and through his word we see his prophetic eloquence, but in Christmas we celebrate the incarnate God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That's why we're using um, or walking through this series entitled Emmanuel. As we think of one of the names of Jesus is God with us. And through Christ, what we see is God's ultimate word showing up. And that's what I want us to see today. I don't want us to hear today. It's God's ultimate word in Christ. Look with me as we continue on in Hebrews chapter two, or Hebrews chapter one, verse two. It says, but in these last days, he being God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And as we look at this passage today, I want us to see three ways, consider three ways, is that Jesus, as God's son, is the ultimate word of God. The culmination of all of God's proclamations, the culminations of all things, rests in the word of Jesus, who is God himself. So today we're going to look at three ways that Jesus, as God's son, is the ultimate word. The first way is we see that Jesus is God's creating word. Jesus is God's creating word. Verse 2, let's look at that again. It says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created all things. So in this passage, in this, these first verses, what we see three things about God, or about Jesus. First, we see that Jesus is God's son. Right? That he is the son of God, not that he was created from God, but then his position to God is that he is God's son. We see this being described to us in many different ways. Jesus claims to be God's son, and everyone that was involved in the situation sees Jesus as God's son. Remember when the angel came to Mary, and he told her, the child to be born to you will be called holy, the son of God. So, so Mary understood that Jesus was the son of God and she knew that he was going to come in an immaculate way, in a very special way. But then we also see years later when Jesus is being baptized, remember when the voice came from heaven and the voice of God came down and he says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
Right? So even God's voice coming down from heaven understands Jesus to be God's son. And multiple times as Jesus is speaking and proclaiming himself, he refers to himself as the son of God and God his father. So we see that there's something special about Jesus that separates him from the rest of humanity, that he is God himself who's come to us. The second thing that we see is that Jesus is God's creating word. We see that he is the heir of all things. That's what it says there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Not only is Jesus God's son, but he's heir of all things. That means that everything that has been made belongs to him. That he is king over all things. And so your life, my life, everything is his. But not only do we see that, but we also think, see that he is the creator of the universe. Meaning that in putting him in position as creator, that he was there with God and is God at the moment of creation. Go back to Genesis and we see um, that as God is speaking and God is creating all things, now the writer of Hebrews is drawing back to that saying is that Jesus was there too. That Jesus was there creating those things. And not only does the writer of Hebrews capture this, Colossians, the writer of Colossians, Paul, um, identifies this and many, many others. For Paul declares in Colossians that all things were created by him and for him. So when we consider creation and we consider that God is a, the inheritance is, belongs to Jesus and that Jesus is God's son, this is a mighty thing that we should consider and we should understand. But let me illustrate this amazing reality in a way that might connect with you. Because sometimes when we think about like God's inheritance and we think of God, the, the son of God, and we think about um, his um, being creator of all things, sometimes that kind of doesn't connect with us. So when I think about this, I think about it in this way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a TV in our house that when you go to turn it on, it will power up, but then it, gets, it fr freezes on the screen and none of the buttons work. And so that is frustrating to me. Do you guys ever have things in your house that break? Okay. What do you naturally do when things begin to break? Right? If you're me, what you do is you start to Google it, you start to YouTube it, and you're like, hey, I got to diagnose this to see if I can fix this or to see if I need help from someone else. And so that's exactly what I did. I started Googling it. I'm like, okay, someone like it's the processor. Uh, someone's like, it's your power supply. It's all these other things. And so I become bombarded with a lot of information about how to fix this thing. And then it becomes frustrating because people don't agree on how to fix the problem or what the problem really is. You ever run into that? Like YouTube is super helpful in a lot of ways, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you just add some more frustration so I could go through all of these steps and it might not still be the problem. And so I can't diagnose it myself and I can't, um, even when you go to the so-called experts, they can't help you. But how much more helpful would it be if the designer and the manufacturer were there with me? Right? If they were there with me, if I could call on the designer and the manufacturer and say specifically, hey, this is, what I'm, this is the problem that I'm having, do you think they'd have the ability to fix it? Do you think they'd have the ability to, to make the parts to fix it too? Right? That's a beautiful thing. Right? I don't have access to the designer of my TV. I don't have access to the manufacturer of my TV. But guess what? Through Christ, through Christ, 
I have access to the designer and the manufacturer and the owner of all things. That's the significance of what the writer of Hebrews is saying right here. Through Christ, we have access to God. Through Christ, we have all things that we could ever need. That we don't need any other than Christ because he is God. He is the one that will receive all the inheritance of all things. And he is creator of all things. So through Jesus, the son of God, the creator, the sustainer, and the heir of all things, he is the ultimate word of God. So through him, we hear God speak. Through him, we understand our purpose. Through him, we understand our meaning. Through him, we receive direction. Through him, we receive wisdom. Through him, we are able to navigate life. Through him, we're able to to navigate the challenges and have wisdom in our friendships, in our relationships, in our work challenges, in our financial challenges, in our parenting challenges. God's word gives us all those things in Christ. I can't believe I didn't get an amen on that. <laughs> right? Isn't that a mighty thing? That's an amazing thing that the designer is here with us through Christ, that God is not far away as he was in the Old Testament. Right? God is holy and God is separate from sinful people. And now in Christ, we have one that has bridged the gap between that and shows us the way back to the Father. So in Jesus, we have the creating word. Second of all, in Jesus is God's revealing word. Look with me in the first part of verse three. It says, he, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the words of his power. Jesus is God's revealing word there is no clearer description of God than his son you want to see God look to the son and you'll see the father it says here that he is like the brilliance the brilliant illumination of God right he is not a reflection of God you and I are a reflection Right? Jesus is not a reflection. He is the actual source itself. He is the radiation of the glory of God himself. Think about the times in which God shows his glory throughout the Old Testament. It's a mighty and amazing thing. For God to step into humanity is an amazing gift of his grace. And we see that God has done this through his son, the writer of Hebrews goes on to describe him as the exact imprint. I mean, he is the exact representation of his being. He's not in the appearance of God, but he himself is God. They share the same imprint of being. He's a perfect, he's a perfect copy of God in our life. So he is God. Every, in every way that God is God, Jesus is God. But there's also a distinction in Christ. Just as there's a distinction in the Godhead. We have God, who is represented as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're all God. So in every way that the Trinity that we talk about is God, Jesus is a part of that God. But Jesus is also distinct from the Father as he is the Son. 
So the writer here with confidence is in awe of who Jesus is. And he's telling us, in essence, what could be better than for God to speak directly to humanity than by becoming human? If God, who is holy and other than us, wants us to know him, the greatest way for us to communicate to us is by becoming like us. Taking on humanity, maintaining his divinity, but also taking on humanity so that we might know him. I want you to know that the identity of Jesus is of utmost importance. Because if Jesus is not fully God and fully man, if we deviate from this, then we destroy the opportunity for man to really know God. Okay? If we make Jesus any lower than he is, then we remove any opportunity that we have to know God. God, Jesus has to be fully God and fully man so that we can know God. And you're like, well, why is this so important? Well, it's so important because throughout church history, even in scriptural times, as the Bible, New Testament is being written and developed, we see that there were attacks that were coming on the identity of Christ. And the church, followers of Jesus, has always had to defend against these, these um, heresaical ideas, ideals about who Jesus really is. All right, we see in the New Testament, Paul's writing a lot about the Gnostics. You guys remember the Gnostics? The Gnostics were, were those that were trying to, to wrap their mind around the, ideolo- the ideology that they believed and this ide- the identity of Jesus. And what they said because of their ideology was that anything that is of created is bad. But anything that is of spirit is good. And so that's what they taught. And they tried to bring this into the church and to say, for them to say that Jesus could not be human because to be human is to be part of the, be part of, uh, the world, to be part of, of this reality. And for that would make Jesus bad. Jesus was not man, but Jesus was God because God is spirit. You can see how that kind of infiltrated the church. And if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you see Paul is hammering it out against this idea that, no, Jesus is not just God. Jesus is God and man, the perfect, ultimate word of God. But it doesn't stop there. Later on in centuries beyond that, there's always been this continual understanding and this coming to Scripture, and they want to see that Jesus is not God. So there was this famous man that, his name was Arius. He became a teacher that would promote the fact that Jesus is not co-eternal with the Father, that he was begotten by the Father. This understanding, that in the way that they understand it, is that there was God who existed in eternity past, and then there comes a moment where God begets Jesus. And Jesus has some of God, uh, some of God's essence, but isn't fully God. So he's created, and then from there, the rest of creation happens. So God is, or Jesus, somehow separate from creation, but he's not yet fully God. And when you do that, what happens is you take Jesus as a person who has been created, and if Jesus has been created, then we shouldn't worship him. Because we're called not to worship the created. Right? Anytime we bow to the created, we make that thing an idol. And that is forbidden according to the, the Ten Commandments. It's committed throughout all, all Scripture. And so Jesus can't 
be created. And they go through, and, and the way they develop this is you see that uh, you even take, like John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him. So they, they, his one and only son, meaning that there was a time that Jesus wasn't. And throughout scripture, when we see that, that God beget Jesus or those things like that, he's not talking about the actual act of creating him. He's talking about his position. It's always about his position. For as we looked last week, we saw him in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? You see continually over and over throughout scripture that, that Jesus is God and his identity is of such. So this terrible heresy of God being or Jesus being created infiltrated the church so much that by uh, the 300 AD Constantine who was the emperor at the time had the church leaders get together and he says you guys got to figure this out you guys have to work this out you have to come to your understanding of what Bible teaches and come up with the standard of what is orthodox and what is heretical about the person of Jesus so the council of Nicaea in 325 clearly seeks out to identify who Jesus is apart from heresy. And the council came up with this word or used this word to describe Jesus as himself and Jesus and God and how they relate together. And it's this big word called homoousius, which simply means homo is same and ousius is essence, meaning that Jesus and God are of the same essence. Clearly saying, setting the standard to be orthodox, to be a, a Bible-believing person, you have to see Jesus and God as having the same essence. They go on, and this is the statement that they write in the um, Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed. I'm going to read a portion of it. It says, And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages... God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Not to stop there. Begotten, not made. Of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to scripture. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. I'm so thankful for the clarity of that statement. Though that statement is not scripture... Statements like that help us be able to solidify what it is we mean when we say that God, that Jesus is God. And we clearly understand what Jesus came to do. So my question to you this morning is having said all that, I know that's a lot of, a lot of words. But how do you, how, how, does, how do you go about shaping your understanding about who God is? Really, how, how do you go about shaping your understanding of God? Do you go to social media and listen to all those things about how people celebrate God or, or come to understand God? Do you read different documentaries? Do you watch TV and allow things like the History Channel to influence your understanding of who God is? Do you allow your own imagination to create an image of God in your own mind? I think the best way for us to understand God is by looking to Jesus. 
for it's when we look to Jesus, we see God. We see God in a way that we can understand him a little bit, right? Because we can visibly see when we look at the person of Jesus, we can see how he loved. We can see how he drew close to sinners and cared for them. We can see how he rebuked the religious. We can see these things. We can see his power and his majesty and his might. And I love how when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them about the fact that he's, he's going away, he's going to go and he's going to prepare a place for them and where he is, they can be also. And I love how Thomas comes to him and says, Jesus, how, how is it that we can see God? And this is how Jesus responds. He says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him because you have seen me. So how is it that we know God? Through Jesus, through seeing Jesus. God wants you to know him personally and experientially. Like he wants you to not just have some knowledge of him or an understanding. He wants to know you. And he wants to be known by you. It's only through him that God is revealed. And thirdly, if we want to understand Jesus is ultimate God's word, we see that Jesus is God's saving word. Look with me in the second part of verse 3. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. See, this problem throughout history has not been the problem with God speaking. God has not muddled the message. God has not given a static with the message. So the, the problem is not with the message. The problem is not with the messenger. The problem has come with the receivers, you and me. For God has done all of this. God has revealed himself. God, through, through Jesus, has done all of the work to reconcile a sinful man back to the holy God. And the problem rests not in him, but the problem rests in us because we failed to listen to God's word. See, in God's design, when sin entered into the world in the garden of Adam and Eve, a relationship with the holy God was broken. Sinful man could no longer have a relationship with a holy God. And God, through his grace throughout time, has continued to show us the way back to him. Throughout the Old Testament, remember, God gives his people the sacrificial system. Right? They, that they had to kill animals and spill the blood of animals to atone for their sins. And their trust in the work of the atonement is what purified them. Not the actual splitting of the blood, but their faith in the work of something that had to give its life for them. It was a constant reminder that sin has to be punished. And so God, not wanting to punish his own people, gives them lambs and gives them other sacrificial animals to sacrifice. But the problem with that is that every time you continued to sin, you needed another sacrifice, and you needed another sacrifice, and you needed another sacrifice. And constantly, there'd be shedding of blood all over the place. And so though the sacrificial system pointed to the reality that sin must be punished, and through the shedding of blood, forgiveness can happen, there needed to be a better way. People kept on sinning, and people kept on needing to be purified. So the writer of Hebrews now turns to Jesus... 
and communicates not just who he is, but what Jesus has done. He says specifically that Jesus has purified us from all our sins. Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice on the cross where he willingly, as the son of God, the exact representation of God, who has perfectly never sinned in himself, willingly gives himself as the sacrifice for sin. And the reason that Jesus is so mighty and holy is that because no one can represent all of humanity and be the representation for all humanity unless he is the creator. Does that make sense? Unless the one being sacrificed, like it, it, it can't just be a goat because then you're going to need another goat and you're going to need another goat and you're going to need another goat and you're going to need another animal and you're going to need another animal. But if God himself comes and is the sacrifice, if the creator of all things, who is an inheritance of all things, comes and gives himself as the sacrifice for all things, then he himself can be sufficient to be forgiveness, for, to be provider of forgiveness for all people for all times, and he himself can become the purification for all sins. Now the amazing thing about Jesus, though on the cross he becomes sin for us, literally, it doesn't just end there. After Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice, he comes back to life, resur is resurrected from the dead, and is now alive. And after making himself alive, he comes and represents himself again to his people, to his followers, to his disciples, and gives them many convincing proofs that he is alive. And after doing that, the Bible tells us in the beginning of Acts that Jesus ascends to heaven, and what does he do? He sits down on the throne meaning that his work is finished. Right? When a king sits down on his throne, it means that he doesn't have to worry anymore, that there are no more battles that have to be fought, that he can be at a place of peace because he has done the work. And he sits at the, the right hand of the Father in an elevated position in that he's over all things he's over the angels he's greater than the angels he's seated there at the side of the father because he is the one who has gone to the father on our behalf so that we can know him now as i said the problem is not with the message the problem is not with the messenger the problem is with the receivers the challenge comes in our lives because of our own sin our own sin has made us blind to the truth of who Jesus is. Now let me illustrate this just for a moment. My house is very loud. I have four daughters, as you know, and there's lots of activity that goes on in my house. And if you spend any time in my house, you know that it's not necessarily a quiet place. And one of my daughters truly enjoys watching TV. And so what she'll do is she'll sit in the middle of our crazy house and she'll try to watch shows. But because she cares so much about the storyline and what's going on, she sometimes can't hear the words because of all the noise. So what does she do? She turns on the captions. And in the midst of the noise of the house, she's able to watch the show, watch the movie, and she's able to understand because she has to be focused in and reading the words in the midst of the noise. You get, some of you are already tracking with me. When we come to Scripture... We see God's amazing story of redemption being unfolded. It's the greatest story of all time. 
But some of us are so consumed by the noise and the voices of the world that we can't hear. We can't see Christ as beautiful. It just becomes a part of the noise. And what it takes for us is to become focused in on God's word. Jesus is the greatest story of redemption. It's being displayed in the person of Christ. But have you spent time truly listening to Jesus and his word? It's through Jesus that we can be healed. In Jesus that we can be made right. And it takes us time focusing in on his word and what he says and what he does. Because Jesus is God's saving word. With our sins forgiven through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's that's what it comes to. You have to come to the place where you consider the person of Christ. And either you accept him by faith or you reject him. And when you reject him, you you lose the hope of being made right with God. But when you believe in Jesus and you accept him by faith, you then are have your sins forgiven and you're made right with God. And today as we look at this word, we must understand that the Father longs to share his glory with you. He longs to be with you you he longs to be there in the dark places of your life when you feel so distant and you feel lonely and you feel needy and you feel shame and you feel all of these things God the creator of all things wants to be present with you in those spaces and he does so through the person of Jesus have you come to that place in your life where you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you have And celebrate that today. Continue to give access of your heart and life to him. Walk with him. Get to know him through his word. Get to know him through prayer. And get to know him as you see him being with you in the difficult times of your life. But today, if you don't know him, may today be the day that you turn to him for salvation. And say, Jesus, in you and in you alone, I believe. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are not silent. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You didn't have to, but you did. And Father, may we continually be moved by seeing your glory in creation, but may we also be more moved as we come to see your glory through the person of Christ. Father, through Christ. And through our faith in Christ, we have complete access to you. And sometimes in the midst of our lives, we forget that. We forget the power and the presence and the promises that are there through Christ. And Father, I pray today that you have reminded us of that. And that you would help us daily to look full in the face of Christ to see you. Father, continue to transform us, continue to change us. And Father, I know that there are so many that are here today that have their own kind of brokenness that they've brought, their own pain that they bring here today, their own bewilderment, maybe their own disappointment, maybe their own discouragement. The Father, I pray today, if they hear nothing else, that they would hear the fact they bring all of that to you and give you space to bring healing to all now as we sing, Father, as we are reminded about who you are, continue to stir in our hearts 
and help us to love you more clearly and more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.